Our sermon text this morning, I actually did not update the bulletin as I intended, is actually Romans 5, 13 to the end of the chapter, which is verse 21. But you can see most of that in your bulletin, or if you want to follow along, you can certainly look it up in the, your Bible. But Romans 5, so we're continuing through the book of Romans, beginning in verse 12, we read these words. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin was indeed in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. He was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many die through one man's trespass, much more had the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. And we ask now that your spirit would attend to its proclamation so that you might strengthen the faith of all who hear as we look again upon the person of Christ, our Lord. Amen. So humans across all times and cultures, we have always sought to understand who we are. And we, we have explored our world through the lens of, of trying to find that answer. Who are we? What is our purpose? Because we feel that when we find that ultimate purpose, we find ourselves. We find our identity. Now, in times past, people thought about themselves a little differently than they do now. They tried to understand who they were in the context of what was true outside themselves. And so as they explored the objective world, they learned who they were. But the argument could be made beginning around the time of what is commonly called the Enlightenment there was a dramatic shift in the way people thought about themselves. Finding yourself, your identity, became subjective. 
No longer did one find his identity in what was out there, what was objective, but his identity came from what he or she wanted to be or how they felt themselves to be. And that is what we call now expressive individualism. And we are all touched by this. We are all in some way expressive individualists because we've been greatly influenced by this way of thinking through culture and through society. We find or we try to find our identity uh, uh, through our own unique core of feelings which we express individually. And that is how most people think. But what Paul is writing here in the second half of Romans 5 takes this whole idea of finding yourself within yourself and just blows it out of the water. Because what he shows here is who you are really isn't how you feel about yourself. He says here, who you are, your identity comes down to something outside your own mind. It comes down to who you know, or rather to whom you belong. You either belong to Adam or you belong to Christ. Those are the only two identities that God sets forth in his word. There is no middle ground. So you are either in Adam or you in Christ. And what he shows us here is that in Adam, well, it's a horrible place to be because in Adam, as that as your identity, you have no hope. Notice throughout these verses that Paul often speaks of one action affecting many things or many people. And the reason then that there is so much hopelessness and fear and sorrow in this world is because in Adam, specifically through his one trespass, there is no hope. All the bad things we do, all the bad things that happen to us are the result of belonging to Adam. And we all belong to him naturally. That is to say, when we're born into this world, we are born into Adam, into this hopeless state. He is our head, our our representative of all humanity. What happened to Adam is what happened to all of us because we're all human. You see, God chose Adam and he created Adam and appointed him to be our representative in Eden and thus to act on our behalf. So what Adam did is imputed or that is to say placed upon us all because we're all part of collective humanity. He functioned as our head. We are corporately tied to him. And so that's what Paul is talking about when he says in verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Sin, all of sin in both thought, word, and deed, entered into the world through Adam's one sin against God. And all people then, born into this world, under Adam, with Adam as their identity, are descended from him and are thus sinners by nature. That's what we mean by that term, original sin. Original sin isn't the first sin that was committed against God, but it is the result of that sin upon all humanity. It is from that that we actually commit our acts of sin. You see, we're not sinners because we sin. 
what we sin because we are sinners. And so all the evil things we do to each other, all the wicked ways we treat one another, all the ways we mock God and fail to worship Him as we ought, they all come from the fact that naturally we are part of Adam. We were in Adam. That is our identity. We are sinners. And in Adam, there is no hope because you're a sinner. And in Adam, there's no hope because it also means that we die. Paul tells us here that sin comes from death. Death is the result of sin. What that means is this, is that death was not part of creation. It was not natural. It was not meant for us as humans. It came because of sin. Now, we don't often think of it that way. We usually think of sin as just being natural, part of creation. But that's not what God originally wanted or designed for this world. It entered the world only after sin. And Paul speaks of death in verse 17 and of being like a a cruel king now that, that, that reigns over all humanity because of Adam's transgression against God. When God first created Adam, he actually charged him with the task of ruling over all of God's creation, like a lesser king, like a vassal. In fact, the very language of those opening chapters of Genesis read like an ancient covenant treaty between a high king and his lower kings or his vassals. And God God gives Adam the authority over that creation. Adam was to protect the garden. He was to take dominion over the world. He was to guard it from evil. And so when the serpents, Satan, enters the garden to tempt Eve, and through her, Adam himself, what Adam should have done was cut off the head of the snake, driven him from the garden. But he didn't do that. He didn't rule what he was given to rule. He allowed Eve, his wife, to fall to the words of temptation to which he then gave in himself. And the result of that, when we read there in Genesis, is death. See, when God placed Adam in Eden, He told him, as recorded in Genesis 2.17, that the day he would eat of the forbidden tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he would surely die. And that is exactly what happened. Now, instead of humanity ruling over creation, they are ruled over by death. Of course, Adam didn't physically die that day immediately, but he began to. And he did die spiritually. That is to say, he was separated from God because death is separation. So when Paul speaks here of death in Romans 5, he does so with that idea in mind. That is why we see words like condemnation and judgment. He's speaking of death as God's punishment for Adam's transgression, for Adam's sin. And so Adam and Eve, they are driven from the garden, put out from God's presence, and they have begun to die physically. And if we are in Adam, since he is our head and what happens to Adam happens to us, that means that we too naturally are cut off from God and we are slaves to death. We are unable to escape its chains. Now, there is a great objection, and no doubt some of you are thinking of this. 
that comes up to this that comes to this idea that that Adam's sin is imputed or placed upon us. And that is, well, how is that fair that I would be responsible for Adam's sin? I mean, how can it be fair that he is our representative? Well, it's fair because God made him that representative. God placed him in that role. Adam sinned in our place. And so if we object to the idea of Adam being our representative, we actually have a problem with the gospel itself. You see, we're not saved on the basis of what we do. That's not salvation. We're saved from sin and death on the basis of what Jesus did for us. That's what we mean when we say Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. That's what Jesus did for us. We had nothing to do with it. And in the same way, Adam's sin then is imputed or placed upon us. We are guilty because he was our representative. And so if we object to the idea of representation and imputation, then you object to the very means of your salvation. Furthermore, because Adam was appointed by God as our representative, that means he was the perfect representative for that time. Because we didn't choose him, God chose him. R.C. Sproul says something really interesting about that. Speaking of Adam, he says, he was my candidate. I did not choose him. God did. But again, if we suppose that when God chose Adam to represent us, that his choice was malicious or foolish, fallible or inaccurate, what are we saying about God? When we make those kinds of complaints and register those kinds of protests, we are proving how accurate the choice was. Because when we assail the integrity of God in making this election for us, we are revealing our own fallenness. And that is who we are in Adam, without hope as fallen sinners. And we are without hope because sin and death are always the enemies of hope. They always have been, even before God gave the law to Moses. So Paul writes in verses 13 and 14, For sin was indeed in the world before the law was given. He's talking about the law of Moses. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who were, whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. It was a type of the one who is to come. So some might say, well, there was no law, and there must have not been any law before Moses, because that's when the law of God came down. But Paul is saying here, you're right, if, if there was no law, then sin wouldn't be counted against someone. But obviously it was counted against them. Why? Because there was death. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. So there must have been a law. And there was. It just wasn't written down yet. It wasn't clarified. It wasn't handed to us in Sinai. See, when when the law was given, it was given to increase humanity's guilt, to show us more clearly that we are sinners against God. It clarified what we already knew by nature and by our conscience that we have fallen, that we have broken God's commandments, that we are sinners. 
In verse 20, we read that the law came to increase trespass. That is to say, to make it clear, to leave you without any excuse for your sin. Because in Adam, there is no hope. In Adam, there is only sin and there is only death. And it seems so bleak, so harsh and so desperate because it is. We're born into this world with this identity as sinners in Adam, already born as enemies of God. And we are already born under the curse of death that is upon us. And we see it and feel it in so many ways. Yes, Adam represented us perfectly, but he failed us so miserably. And so we need a better Adam. We need a better representative. If there is to be any hope at all of escaping this identity in which we are trapped as we are born into Adam. And thanks be to God, there is one. And his name is Jesus. You see, Jesus, Paul shows us, is better than Adam. Because grace is greater than sin. At the end of verse 14, Paul explains that Jesus was a type of the one to come. And he's, of course, talking about, or Adam, rather, was a type of the one to come. And he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the one to come. So Adam stood in the place of all humanity. He sinned. We sinned in him. Jesus stands in the place of his people. When Adam failed, he did so in our place. We failed with him. But when Christ performed what God needed him to perform, he performed for us. And what Jesus did is greater than what Adam did, because grace is always more powerful than sin. And Paul begins to show us this in verse 15. He says, the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So the free gift... It is all that Jesus has done to save his people from their sins. It is his perfect life of obedience. It is his perfect sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection as the perfect defeat of death. That's the free gift. And it's not like that one trespass of Adam, Paul says. Now, that doesn't mean that the trespass wasn't powerful, because obviously it was. I mean, look what Adam's one sin, just one sin. That's all. One sin, look what it did. One sin brought judgment and condemnation. One sin resulted in, in death being spread through the entire world. Corruption, both spiritual and physical, flowed from one act of disobedience. That one sin rendered all humanity incapable of knowing God and pleasing God in and of themselves. And that one act of sin, as we've considered, brought upon all death and suffering. 
And so it is because of that one sin that all the casualties of war and every child who never sees the light of day, every young man and woman who's lost in a car wreck, all who suffer from terrible diseases and die painful deaths, all of that came about because of just one sin, the sin of Adam. But how much greater, as powerful as that one sin was, how much greater is grace? Because if you look at verse 16... What Paul is saying here is that the gift, the gift of God's grace in Jesus, followed not just one trespass, but many trespasses. See, the free gift of Christ came after many, many more sins. So one sin brought death, condemnation, and judgment. And since that one sin, there have been a lot more sins committed. And they're still being committed And there are a million reasons then for God to condemn us and pour His holy judgment upon us because that's what we deserve. There isn't just that one anymore. There are millions. But the free gift of grace abounds more than those many sins. And it brings justification when there is a mountain of transgression saying, hey, you don't deserve that. That's the free gift of the gospel that comes to us through Christ. Grace is greater than sin because Jesus was able to do what Adam could not. In fact, let's think about that for a moment. Consider all that Adam had to do. He was given a promise of life, eternal life with God, if he would simply fulfill one little requirement. Avoid eating the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he was also to have children and fill the earth with divine image bearers like him. So he had very little he had to do. A very simple task to obey and please God. And he couldn't even do that. He couldn't keep a single command to not eat of a tree. But Jesus, when he came... And he was made in the flesh and became a human like you and I. He had the entirety of God's written law handed down through Moses to his people at Sinai. He had all of that to keep. He had to obey every one of God's commandments revealed and handed down since that first command given to Adam. And he had to do it perfectly. He could not misstep once. It had to be 100% if he was really going to fulfill God's law on our behalf. Remember, Jesus is our representative just like Adam. And so to keep all of God's regulations, his covenant law, to secure that promise of life means he would have to actively obey every single one of those commands perfectly. And that is exactly what he did. We call that the act of obedience of Christ. It is Jesus doing what we couldn't do on our behalf. It wasn't just his death that would save us, but it was his perfect keeping of the law in our place that satisfies that law so that we can be declared righteous in him. And for that, Jesus is a better Adam. But also consider the temptation that Adam faced. It's the same temptation Jesus had to face as a man. 
I mean, Adam, when he was created and appointed to his role as the head of all humanity, he was given everything he would ever need, and then some. He was placed in a beautiful garden full of bounty. All of his needs were met. He would never need to hunger or thirst. It was all there provided for him. He even had God's own presence there to fellowship with at any moment. And yet Adam listened to the temptation then that Satan brought. And that temptation was to abandon God's provision and abandon God's command and to become a God unto himself to take up his own authority to worship and celebrate himself. And Jesus faced that very same temptation. In fact, at the beginning of his ministry, he is sent by the Spirit into the wilderness to fast and to prepare. And while he is there, Jesus does not have a garden of food from which he can partake. But he suffered for 40 days and nights in the wilderness, weakened by thirst and hunger. And there Satan tempted him just as he tempted Adam to abandon what God had called him to do. And yet Jesus withstood Satan and he defeated him. And he did what Adam could not. He drove Satan from his presence because Jesus is better than Adam. Also, Jesus is the better Adam Because of his humility. Now, when Adam sinned against God, he was actually taking something that was not his to take. He was reaching for glory that was not his to have. To be like God the Almighty. That is not what he was supposed to be. But Jesus was God and he is God. And yet he condescended. He came down from glory to become a man and then suffered and died as a common criminal, though he committed no crime. And Jesus demonstrated humility when he did not have to. But Adam reached for what he did not deserve in pride. So Jesus was the better Adam. And he was the better Adam because his one act of righteousness brought life rather than death. Verse 17, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. Through the one man, Jesus Christ. Death reigned through Adam's one trespass, but life comes through Christ. And he proved that by rising from the dead himself. Yes, death reigned over all the earth through Adam. But Jesus' resurrection put a period at the end of death's reign. And he said, no, you will not reign over my creation anymore because I have secured for them life both now and eternity. Now Adam, of course, was given the opportunity to win that promise of life if only he could keep that one commandment and he did not and yet Jesus did and he earned the promise of life So that when we stand united to Him, identified with Him, 
that promise becomes ours. So yes, Christ is the better in Adam. In Adam, we become God's enemies. In Jesus, we're made his family. In Adam, all die. In Jesus, all live. In Adam, there is only judgment. But in Jesus, there is justification. In Adam, we are trespassers. But in Jesus, we are righteous. In Adam, we lose everything. In Jesus, all the blessings of heaven and earth are ours. And in Adam, all humanity is ruined. But in Jesus, all believers are restored. And so what we see with all this then is that our true and authentic self really does come down to who you know, to whom you are united. Are you either belonging to Adam or are you in Christ? You can remain in the disobedience of Adam or you can be redeemed by the obedience of Jesus. Verse 18 reads, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. Now, when you read that and hear that, you might be tempted to think, well, he's saying then justification is for everyone. Everyone's justified. It doesn't matter who you are or what you do. No, Paul is not teaching a universal salvation here. That would, for one, be inconsistent with the rest of Scripture. And it would certainly be inconsistent with what he has been saying here in Romans, that we are justified by faith alone. In fact, he he highlights that again here in Romans 5. Uh, In the preceding verse, verse 17, Paul said, it is those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness who will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That's a limitation. It's not everyone who receives this blessing. It is not everyone who is in Christ. But those who are in Christ are put there by the grace of God and it is through faith that they come to him. So one receives that reward of Christ's righteousness when they are justified by their faith. Otherwise, you still remain in Adam. That's your identity, not Jesus. So verse 19, For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. And so by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Those are legal categories that Paul's talking about. In Adam, many were made sinners. In Christ, many were made righteous. And this idea of being made really speaks of assignment or, or appointing. So in Adam, many are appointed or designated as sinners. If you are an id and Adam, this is your category. But in Jesus, many are appointed righteous. And so if you are not in Jesus, that means you are not righteous. You're still in Adam. You remain a sinner. Because what happened to Adam is what happened to you. Adam sinned and was condemned. Adam died. But if you receive through faith the free gift of Christ's righteousness, that means that what happened to Jesus happened to you. And so where do you find yourself? Are you still in Adam? You're still a slave to sin and death? Being in Adam, you cannot escape that reality because that is who you are. That is your identity as a person, as a member of the human race. You can try to escape, but you will only end up like Adam. 
You can even try to keep God's law. We have more commandments. Good luck with that. You will only fail like Adam failed. Because as verse 20 says, the law came to increase the trespass, not to make it easier. But you don't have to remain there. You don't have to remain in Adam. Because while the law came to increase the trespass, Paul says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. There is freedom in Christ. And so let His righteousness be your righteousness. May your identity be found in the person of Jesus Christ. May you be identified with His victory rather than Adam's failure. Yes, sin and death are certainly powerful. And they seem at times that they cannot be overcome. But the reality is that the one who is better than Adam has already come and overcome them. And so let His righteousness reign in your heart through faith. Jesus is the better Adam because He did what Adam failed to do. And so He secured for you the blessings of life for all His people. So find your identity in Him, not in yourself. Because if you do that, what you're doing is you're finding your identity again in that old person, in Adam, that person of sin and death. But when you find your identity in Christ through faith in Him, united to Him, you have life and forgiveness and the joy and peace that comes from knowing God forevermore. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would continue to minister this truth of the gospel in our hearts. That in Jesus we have everything. That all that we lost in Adam has been fully restored through the person of Christ our Lord. And So Father, I pray for those hearts that may have yet to grasp this truth, but are struggling with it, wrestling with it, I pray that you would free them from that fallen identity that is theirs in Adam, that they might find joy in the person of Christ. And for those who are your people who know you, strengthen our faith, Lord. Help us to hold on to who we are in Christ and not be tempted to look to who we would be in Adam. But remember that we already have the promise of life won for us, and we are already declared righteous because we are justified in your sight through Jesus our Lord. It is in his name we pray. Amen.